for your mercy and your grace and loving us where we are. Thank you, Father, that you know us. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, death, and resurrection. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence that guides and transforms our lives. God, you make all things new and all things beautiful. Would you come today and fill us with your presence? Amen. And so uh, today uh, we, we finalized the Holy Spirit um, series. We've been talking about this and, uh, and different aspects of the Holy Spirit, and, and the teaching team has just articulated so well the different aspects of what the Holy Spirit is. Um, so I just want to say thank you to everyone who taught. You guys did an amazing job. I really believe that you are a blessing to the church. Um, but today, as we wrap the series, I want to talk about Holy Spirit and mission. And so what does that mean, right? And today, um, someone came up to me earlier. They're like, hey, you ready for Pentecost Sunday? And I said, I'm ready for your interpretive dance, man. And he's like, so Wes, are you ready? No, I'm kidding. Okay, so no, okay. He's, he's like, I'm not feeling the spirit right now. Okay, so, um, <laughs> so, so but we have, to, like, we have to know what the mission is, right? And so the Holy Spirit works in tandem with the mission. Holy Spirit doesn't work against the mission, The Holy Spirit pushes the mission forward. So it says this in Mark 16, um, verse 15. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany Those who believe, they will cast out demons in my name, they will speak in new languages, they will be able to hold snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. So these things accompany, so the mission is this, go preach the good news, go lay hands on the sick, and bring and watch restoration happen, all right? And so that's the mission of what's going on. And Jesus, in, a, in another gospel, so there's, there's four of them, and there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're the beginning of the New Testament. And, and he says in one of the other ones, hey, wait here in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit will come and empower you. And he's saying empower you to do the works of ministry, all right? And so here's what happens. But we have to kind of say, but what is, who is Jesus in this whole picture? Right? Because here's what I think and I know is resurrection makes a huge difference. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. It says this. It's talking about resurrection. Uh, and it says this, but tell me this. And this is Paul speaking and he's writing to the church of Corinth. And he says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there's no resurrection from the dead or of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, 
All who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But, in fact, Christ has raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Now, I want us to get this. The Holy Spirit in mission, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the mission that He has created, right? So God has a mission, and God's mission is this. It's a, it's a gigantic restoration project, all right? All things will be restored. If we turn back a, a book to Romans in the chapter that we'll go to is chapter 8, and if you've read Romans chapter 8, dude, it kills it in a totally good way. Like, you need to read Romans chapter 8. I would encourage you to go home, read all this stuff, right? Read Mark 16, uh, read 1 Corinthians 15, read Romans 8. And so the synopsis of that 1 Corinthians passage is this. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Without resurrection, we're fools. Does everybody get that? You're here for nothing. We're here for a country club meeting, and the appetizers weren't that good. So we need to, okay, so, all right, but here's the deal. We didn't serve any cheese or anything like that. I'm sorry, but we're not here for a country club meeting. We're here because the resurrection, in fact, is true, and it happened, and so we're alive, and so this restoration project, the first fruits of the great harvest is Jesus. So check this out. He says, this in Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. And this is going to be a longer read, so please hang with me. Um, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Is anybody in on, are you with me on that? Do you want to be released from sin and suffering? All right, and what it's saying is creation that was unwillingly put under this curse is doing the same groaning. It wants to not have death, and it wants not to have decay. And it says this. I love this, man. It says, it says we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we were already If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Here's what it says, man. It goes on in 26. I love this. And this is such a relief for me. I don't know about you guys. This is a huge relief for me. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And the next line has been huge for me because there's times where you go through life, and I hope you're like me uh, because you're human, is that there's times in life where you literally don't know what to pray. 
Like you've hit the ground, you've hit a wall, and you don't know what to pray. And I love this verse because here's what it says, that's okay. And it reads like this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Is that a relief to anybody? That's a relief to me. And I don't know what to pray for. I'm going to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know. Uh, Give us today our daily bread. Forgive me of my trespasses, okay? And help me to forgive other people too. You know, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. That's kind of a good prayer. And we can pray that. And, and, but even we can pray that, but then we might come to the end and we might say, but I just don't know what else to pray for. We could pray that again. Because here's what it says. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Dude, let me tell you a little secret. God is for you. All right, when you say, God, I don't know, I don't know what's next, I don't know what to do, he's not looking at you like, hey, dummy. He is groaning for you and praying for you that your life would come to the destiny that it was meant for. That is what's going on. So if you're down and out and you don't feel like you can pray for anything, guess what? I just want to say this and reiterate this. This is what community is about. Because when you don't feel like you can pray, you have other people that are praying for you. When you don't feel like you can worship, you have other people that are singing those songs over you. So Christ is the beginning point of this restoration project of all things. I want to reiterate, I want to iterate this, that, that Paul is not looking at this from a dualistic standpoint. Okay? In other words, Paul is not saying, hey, um, hey, uh, we wait. Now, what I mean by that is that you get together with only Christians and you go hide in a corner and you just talk about things in here and never engage culture. Ever. Don't do that. Okay? That's not what Paul's saying. Here's a, that's a dualistic attitude. A dualistic attitude is, I have to withdraw from everything, and the world's out there, and it's evil. What? How small is the God that we serve? Okay? What Paul's talking about here is an active waiting, because we're waiting with eager hope. If I have eager hope, I want other people to have the hope that I have. Right? And so I wait with patience for the fulfillment of the kingdom of God to come. I am going to actually be in action as I wait with eager hope for the kingdom to come. Because in some way, God is going to use us, the church, not just Lakeland Vineyard, the capital C church, the church of Lakeland to bring transformation to Lakeland. And I believe that he's going to use Lakeland Vineyard to bring transformation to Medella. 
And so as we actively wait here, as we actively engage culture with the good news of Jesus Christ, we begin to see transformation. Look with me in Luke 9, 1 through 6. We see Jen, uh, Jesus here. He's going to send out his posse, right? He's got his 12, all right? Those are 12 disciples, his followers. Those were his closest followers. And he says this, um, one day, or it says this, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all disease. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And these are his instructions. This is what Jesus says. Take nothing for your journey. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even clothes. When you go, stay in the same house until you leave the town. And if the town refuses to welcome you, you shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, and they began preaching the good news and healing the sick. So that telling is going to say that they, they taught the good news and they healed the sick through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? But here's what I want us to do, and we're not going to read all of 7 through 56, verses 7 through 56, because I just want to give you a synopsis of these disciples that went out and they uh, had the gospel, right? And they shared the good news, and they healed people, and then they come back. Here they are. Uh, they feed 5,000 people begrudgingly, right? They did. They ended up doing it, but it was begrudgingly. Because Jesus said that in my favorite verse in the Bible, why? Because it's short, and I could memorize it. All right? And it says this. It says, they say, well, God, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? Like, there's 5,000 people here. Like, well, this would take so much wage and all this stuff. And he says this. You feed them. What? And so I love that verse because it's got such implication for today. Right? Like Jesus is saying to you, you feed them. Well, God, I'm so underqualified. I don't know enough of the gospel. I don't have 150,000 verses of your word uh, memorized. Um, uh, excuse after excuse, okay? Dude, you feed them. And so they feed them, all right? Peter, who later denies Christ, confesses Jesus as Messiah. Jesus predicts his death, not in this gospel, but it, I mean, in this gospel, but in, not in this gospel are people like, nah, what are you talking about? Like, his disciples are like, dude, that is not cool. Like, why would you say that? All right? And so they don't get the picture. Uh, Peter, John, and James, and this is for a whole other thing, but transfiguration happens. They go up to this mountain. Jesus starts glowing. Other people show up, and they're like, whoa, what's up? That is, what just happened? The voice says, this is my son. And you're like, man, that's good stuff. But they're still, like, confused. They don't know exactly what's going on because after this happens, Jesus heals a demon-possessed uh, boy, and then after that happens, they're arguing about, hey, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Like, probably not you because you're a loser, right? 
and you have like an attitude problem or this or that or the other, and they're arguing, they're bickering back and forth, and Jesus is like, oh my gosh, they don't get it, all right? And then they say this, hey, Jesus, there's people over there healing people in your name, and they're not part of our crew, so we need to kill that real quick. That's, that's competition, right? And so they have this competitive attitude, and Jesus is like, oh, my gosh. And then to top it all off, I love this. This is like the icing on the cake, right? So Jesus is passing through uh, Samaria, going to Jerusalem, and they weren't very welcoming to him. And so uh, they say, hey, uh, they're not very welcoming. Should we just call down fire on the Samaritans and, like, burn them? And, and Jesus is like, no, I don't know. Oy vey. I don't know what he said, but... Um, <laughs> No, but he's like, what? He's like, you don't even understand your own heart. Like, I came to serve and save people, not to burn them up, all right? And so, love that. And so, here, here's, here's the deal. I love Jesus' leadership strategy because it's so counterintuitive. So, the 12 are still all over the place. I mean, they're, I mean hello, should we call down fire on these people for, for them not welcoming you? Uh, so what Jesus does is this. I love it. His strategy is amazing. The 12 are all screwed up still. They don't understand the whole picture. So Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send out 72 more. That's a horrible strategy. Like if we were to look at it, we'd be like, that's a horrible idea. Like the 12 aren't getting it. Why would you send out 72 more? And so he sends them out with similar instructions. Uh, they come back. They, they do their thing. Uh, and I love it. And I don't have this up on the, it won't be up on the screen, but I just want to tell you that, that Jesus is pumped when they come back. Right? I mean, he says that he cries out for joy in this prayer to God. And this, like, gratefulness, like, hey, I think they're starting to get it. But here's the deal. He knew who he was in God, right? I'm convinced Jesus was not a self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing Savior in that, in, that, in that sense where, oh, I don't, whatever, the mission's, you know, it's probably, it ain't gonna happen anyways with these 12 and the 72. Here's what he knows. He knows who he is in God. He trusts in God. He knows God. He knows the greatness of God. He's fully dependent on God. He's placing his followers in the hands of God. Right? And so here's what I want us to get here. The last thing that he knows is this. He knows that the mission will not fail. Now, I want us to get this because I think it's so stinking important. We go crazy about stuff that in eternity doesn't matter. Dude, like, we're willing to fight each other over stuff, like crazy stuff. And it's like, okay, at the end of the day, does it matter? Like, is Jesus, like, if you have a particular doctrine on something, is Jesus going to meet you at the gates and say, dude, spot on. You, we got to talk. Okay, like your doctrine was a bit off, all right? I don't think he's going to. I just don't. Like we have this discussion with our kids all the time. Like will we, they, they ask this sweet question, will we know you in heaven? 
And I'm like, my, answer, my logical answer, which is really a good dad answer, don't answer like this. It's just, and I was like, you won't care. Like, because we're going to be in the presence of God. And that doesn't, let me tell you something, just heads up, that doesn't suffice for kids. They're like, we still want to know you. I'm like, you'll know me. I don't know. <laughs> like, sure. We'll live in the same house. I don't know. Okay. God, you're moving back in? Okay, so, um, and so, but we won't care at that point, right? Because all things, all things will be restored, right? Oh, and my attitude will be restored. So here's the deal. So God uses people, right? And so I want to I wanna talk about this vast gap of thousands of years that separate us from our ancient brothers and sisters, right? But we're connected to them via a common mission, right? And so like them, we were full of doubts. Like them, we went about things and we did things wrong sometimes. And like them, we asked questions. And like them, we did stupid things, right? But also like them, we're longing and we're asking this question, how do we find ourselves partnering with the Holy Spirit? So I want to fast forward to today. So I want to say this. I'm talking about today, you and I right now, If the scripture is relevant today as it was back then, and it's not just this story, right? So if we take Romans 8 and we say, how do we apply Romans 8 there, 18 through 30? How does that apply to us today where we're at right now as we partner with the Holy Spirit in this huge restoration project? How do we do that? And what does that look like? Well, here's what I believe it looks like. A, we need to find immense encouragement that we have the knowledge that the, re- that the resurrection was the beginning of the restoration of all things. That in Jesus, who's the first fruits of all things being restored, that that is a reality and that's not a myth. And now we get to be included as his followers in this restoration project. And so we want to do things like advocate for justice and beauty, right? And so we think about this. And so what does this look like? And man, I had, like, back in the day, I had some really crazy ideas like, oh, I mean, recycling, stupid, or earth care, what is that? That's such, a, that's such a hippie idea, all right? Well, I must be a hippie now because I'm really starting to, like, uh, lean into this stuff, and I think justice and beauty actually matters. And how does, if we believe, uh, like, heaven and earth, like, new heaven, new earth, right? And so if this is God's, like, earth that he created, and the, the original purpose of man was to take care of earth, then I think we're probably still on that track. I don't remember reading anywhere where God says, I don't really care about earth anymore. You can re- if you want to send me some articles that say different, that's fine too. Um, or Facebook posts, those are the best. Um, uh, but here's the deal. So he's in the restoration of all things. He's empowered us with mission uh, in the whole, by the Holy Spirit Uh, to see restoration in space and time and matter. And I want to break down those real quick. Space, I believe, we could talk about space, like this is a space right here. We've created a worship space this morning. It's more than a building, right? It is a building. I'm not denying that, okay? But when we come, it it comes into a space. Now, sometimes the space gets converted into a space where voting happens, okay? But this morning, what happened was, We converted this into a space where we wanted to worship God, and we're doing that right now, right? And so in this space, what we need to look at this space as is not a retreat from the world, but a bridgehead into the world, right? 
And so, oh, this is where I come, and this is where I get away from the world. Uh, wrong attitude, all right? It's the wrong attitude to have about church. This isn't a country club. This is a place where we come to be equipped to go back into the world and make a difference and engage culture. So I think it's important that when we come to this space that we look at it not as a retreat, but as a place where I'm getting equipped and I'm going to go back out and I'm going to make a difference in the people's lives that are around me. So because if we just do um, this space and we make no difference in town planning and educational programs, if we have no creative ways of farming that's better for the earth, all right, and better for wildlife, then we're really not doing anything. We're coming and we're singing three songs. We're going to hear about a 30-minute message, hopefully, and, and then we're going to leave. And maybe some people get prayed for. But here's the deal. If we leave here and we say, you know what? No, I want to be on the city council, or I want to do, take part in uh, uh, whatever in Plant City, or I want to better serve my community wherever I am as, uh, I don't know, an officer, right, of the law. So I want to better serve the community. I want to see people's lives change because of that. I want to go out and be a better teacher. I want to read to first graders because we want to see all things restored. And it becomes important to us, right? So space matters. And then time, taking back time. I'm not talking about turning back time. You're not going to do that. Sorry, no turning back time, all right? But here's what we can do. We can create margin. And I just want to encourage you, with this. God took a day off. Like the creator took a day off. You can take a day off. You can create space. You can create this time that you have and margin. And I want to say this. This is, I know this is insane to say to business owners. Care about people's time. Allow them to have margin. And yes, it will probably cut into your bottom line. But it will give life to those people. And it will give life to you. I'm telling you, it's, it's huge. Create space where you can take back. We're in such a quick, rushed society that we need to stop. And we need to take some time. All right? And so... On vacation, here's what I'm doing. We're leaving for vacation next Monday, okay? If you need to get a hold of me, (laughs) good luck, all right? I'm out, okay? The phone, the GPS is going to be on as we travel, and then that bad boy is getting shut down because I don't give a crud what's going on on Instagram. For sure don't care what's going on on Facebook. Gave that up a while ago because I want to like people. And so, um, and so here's the deal. Unplug. Do it. And you know how, you know how bad I'm going to feel for three weeks? I'm going to feel so not bad at all for not connecting with anybody except for my family. That's it. And I'm going to feel great about it. And I encourage you, do the same thing. Okay? Please do it. Take back time. Matter. When we talk about matter, this is like actual people. Right? So we see God come in Jesus, right? And so Jesus is matter. And so he is going to be restored. He's going to be resurrected. So people's lives matter. The people that are out in our community, those lives matter. And so what do we see in this? Well, it's talking about actually, you know, again, reading to a first grader. It's about meeting that kindergartner because those people that matter matters. All right? And so I want to read this uh, because... 
I believe what we do right now, it really makes a difference. This is a book called Surprised by Hope. It's by a guy named N.T. Wright. Can I, side note, super cool dude. I like emailed him the other day and I was like, dude, I just want to thank you for like writing this book. It's like changing, like literally changing my life and perspective on everything that I'm doing right now. And uh, so this is like world-renowned professor, dude. He emails me back and he's like, hey, awesome, good to hear. Keep doing what God's uh, leading you to do. Yeah, exactly. That was actually my jaw hitting the ground. So I was like, so it was really cool. Well played. All right, here we go. And so here's what he says in one of the paragraphs. And so please just listen because it's changing everything in me. When the church is seen to move straight from worship of God, worship of the God we see in Jesus, to making a difference and affecting much-needed change in the real world, when it becomes clear that people who feast at Jesus' table are the ones who are on the forefront of work to eliminate hunger and famine, when people realize that those who pray for the Spirit to work in and through them are the same people who seem to have a little extra resource of love and patience in caring for those lives who are damaged and bruised and shamed, then it is not only natural to speak of Jesus himself and to encourage others to worship him for themselves and find out what belonging to his family is all about, but it's also natural for people, however irreligious they may, they may think themselves as being, to recognize that something is going on that they want to be a part of. When the church is living out the kingdom of God, the word of God will spread powerfully and do its own work. So if y'all like that, get the book, read it, all right? Mm, okay, so very good. That's on page 267 if anybody's taking notes. So what's happening in Medela is an answer to prayer. We started praying three years ago, God, would you open up opportunities for, for us to, to this transformation to happen in this community? And here's what I knew, that, that transfer, transformation needed to happen in our own hearts too. Transformation needed to happen in the heart of the church, too, because we need to start leaning outward. We've been asking the same question for a long time, and I believe that we're actually going to answer this question. And uh, this question is this. What if Lakeland Vineyard shut its doors down tomorrow? Would it impact the community? And I believe that we can say, yeah, right now. Like, if we were to shut our doors, it would impact our community. And I believe that's because God is moving in people's lives, is waking people up to the reality of who he is. And so are we living our lives in a restorative manner, in a power, in a way that the power of the Holy Spirit is pushing our mission? And understand me, I'm not saying, are you being perfect? I'm saying, are you in pursuit of who God is? And are we doing these things are we learning from mistakes that we made? Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. Am I going to make mistakes? Yes. Are we learning from them? And then are we admitting that we made mistakes? 
Are we admitting that when we're wrong, that we're actually wrong, and that we ask people for forgiveness, and that we forgive other people? Are we walking in humility so that the Holy Spirit can show Himself strong? Because the passage said, in weakness, the Holy Spirit is at work in me. And N.T. Wright, in this very same book, makes this statement that I want to close with, and I think it's super challenging. It was to me. It was a tough statement to me. If the gospel isn't transforming you, how do you know that it will transform anything else? If the gospel is not transforming you, how do you know that it will transform anything else? Stand with me. God, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for a church that cares about people outside of its walls. God, and I thank you for opportunities that, we, that you've opened up to be able to minister to this community that surrounds us. And Father, we say to you, we are weak, God, and you're strong. You've opened up all these doors, God. You've allowed connections to happen and to relationships to form. And so, God, I pray for a deepening of those relationships and that connection. God, I pray that as we impact the lives of these kids, as we teach kids how to read, as we encourage them, as we meet them with a smiling face, as we encourage these teachers, as we go into the neighborhoods and meet the families of the kids, we want to do the things that you want to do. As we partner with other churches, we want to, we want to recognize that, that we're just a local church that's part of a way bigger mission uh, than, than this church alone. And we're part of a mission that's bigger than any one individual in this room. And God, we thank you that you're on the move, that we can rely on you. And I pray as we leave here today that we would go in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to, to speak kind words to people, that, that we would be able to make those phone calls that we need to ask for forgiveness, that we would be able to see restoration happen as you empower us to do the things that you're calling us to do. So, Father, I pray that you would open up our vision to see what it is you're doing. And if only a little bit, God, it's still significant because you're doing it. So, God, open our hearts. Open our minds. God, to know you more. God, and I just thank you so much that, that we get to be a, a small part of something big in this huge restoration project. And God, I just want to pray for transformation for Medela. I want to pray for transformation for Medela, God. God, in both physical buildings and in physical beings, God, would you just come and your kingdom come in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, before you go is this, we're going to pray up here. There's going to be some people that are praying. And you might be asking questions like, dude, I want more of that. I don't even know what that's about, but I want to experience what Jesus is. There's going to be some people up here uh, that are going to be praying with you. Also, if there's stuff going on in your life, you got some health stuff going on, and you think, yeah, I would love some prayer, all right? Let me just encourage you. You don't have to come up right now, but there's going to be people up here 
I'm going to dismiss. You come up. You get prayer. We believe that.